God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Good morning, Cross United. So good to see you this morning. Uh, looking forward to what God has for us this morning. I want to ask you this question. Are you a donkey or are you a zebra? Let me explain what I mean by that. A couple of years ago, there was a man in Cairo, Egypt, who went to a zoo, and the zoo uh, started coming under criticism when this guy posted a picture of their zebra exhibit. And he posted this picture of this zebra. Uh, I don't know, I think it was a selfie maybe, where he's like this with the zebra. And it became really, really clear just by looking at the picture that this wasn't actually a zebra, but it was a donkey painted to look like a zebra. Um, the news report concluded this way. It said zebras and donkeys, despite both bearing a resemblance to horses, are different species. Donkeys are popular beasts of burden in developing countries and were domesticated thousands of years ago. Zebras, meanwhile, are primarily known for their black and white stripes. Um, now listen to this. Zebras also have black snouts, according to one expert. They are larger and less donkey-like than the animal in the viral photo, and they don't have smudged stripes. Here's what I mean by asking you if you're a zebra or a donkey. Are you the real deal? Are you the real deal? One of the most important things about us is what we believe. Everyone believes something. Uh, everyone bases their life on some set of beliefs. Uh, you might believe that hard work really pays off, so you work hard and maybe even neglect your family at times because you think working hard is what will eventually pay off. Uh, you might believe you only live once, YOLO, and so you're just trying to have fun and, and just kind of enjoy life. Christians are defined by what we believe. Uh, the Apostle Paul included faith in his big three along with hope and love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is really at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and one of the big questions presented to us in the Bible and in the book of John specifically, which we've been studying together, is, is your faith authentic? Is your faith real? This question matters. This question matters. And this is how Jesus is going to confront us. And what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is we're going to look at seven challenges of authentic faith. Seven challenges of authentic faith. And this is going to come through this discussion that Jesus had with the Jewish people and Jewish religious leaders and this group of people who had believed in him in sort of a preliminary way. 
And we saw this in sort of a big picture overview last time, and you can uh, find that uh, sermon on, online at crossunited.org. But what we're going to do is we're going to go into more depth for in, in, into each of these challenges of authentic faith. And this is the first challenge here in John 8, 31. The challenge of abiding. The challenge of abiding. John said, Jesus said in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we see this statement to this group of people who have believed in Jesus and made a profession of faith in Jesus. And what we see is that Jesus gives them a challenge in the form of a conditional if-then statement. The condition is this. If you continue or abide or remain in my word. A conditional statement um, is, is a statement that provides a condition that if someone meets it, will bring about a certain result. So the condition is this. This is the challenge. Will you abide? Will you abide? Before we get into the, the meat of the challenge here and then look at the results, if you meet that challenge, let's just take a moment. And let's just ask God to help us. Let's pray and ask for his spirit to lead us. Our Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, we ask you to be present with us in this moment. We ask you to speak, Holy Spirit, through your word. Even now as you're meeting us, wherever we may be, maybe we're watching this um, on our couch, or maybe we're listening to this as we're walking, or maybe we're um, gathered around uh, outside on the patio, wherever we may be, Lord, we're watching this, we're hearing this, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to meet us. You can bridge the gaps of space and time and bring us together in heart and in spirit right now, and we ask you to do that and to challenge us with this challenge of abiding authentic faith. And I pray, Lord, you would give us grace to meet this challenge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The challenge is, will you abide? The word abide, or sometimes translated remain or continue or stay, is really, it's a really important word in the Gospel of John. Um, it's The, the word occurs, 20% of all the times the word occurs in the New Testament, it occurs in the 22 chapters of the Gospel of John. So there's, there's all of this stuff in the New Testament, all of these chapters, all of this, all of this text, all of this teaching, but a huge chunk of the word abide or remain is found in John. It's a really important word for John. Sometimes it means just like stay in a place or town, John 2.12. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed or remained or abided there for a few days. Other times it means to live or to continue living on earth. Like John 14, 25, Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you while I remain or abide with you. One of the most important ways that the Bible uses this word, and especially John uses this word, is to describe the relationship of the persons of the Trinity and the triune God. Um, and and it's, it's Jesus talks about how the Spirit abides on Jesus, John 1.33, and the Father abides in the Son, John 14.10, and the, the Son abides in the Father's love, John 15.10. 
Into this context, we see that there's, there's the way that John uses this, which is how he uses it here in John 8, 31. And that is to describe the way a person is united to this perfect union of the persons of the Trinity. If a person abides in the word of God, then that person abides in God through the person of the word, Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 6:56, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains or abides in me and I in him. How does this happen? Well, the spirit of God through faith indwells a person as they trust in Jesus and his word. Jesus says he is the spirit of truth. The world's unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. By the spirit, both the father and the son abide with the believer and in the believer as well. So the challenge of abiding is not just a challenge of sticking it out, gritting your teeth, digging in your heels, and refusing to give up. That is, that's part of it. That's definitely part of it. But it's about a long-term love and loyalty and trust in Jesus and his word. The challenge of abiding is a challenge of being swept up into the relations of who God is as the Trinity, to be an adopted child of God. And what the eternal son is by nature, we become by grace. One scholar says that to abide means to permanently reside in a specific location. It means to stick with Jesus and his word. It means to read your Bible and pray every day so that you'll grow, grow, grow. It means to seek after Jesus with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. It means reading the Bible when it's popping and it's like coming to life before you and when it seems dull and dry and you don't seem to feel anything. It means Bible reading plans and prayer cards and journaling, Bible studies and serving. Abiding in Jesus means leaning into growth in terms of your faith. It means trusting who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection. It means being filled by the Spirit and with the Spirit. If you abide, he says, if you continue in my word, that's the condition, that's the challenge. Will you continue? Will you abide with him and in his word? who he is, what he said, and what he's done. And if you meet the challenge, if you meet this condition, there's a threefold, a trifold result. There's three things Jesus says here in John 8, 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, number one, you really will be my disciples. You really are my disciples. So here's the first reward of the challenge of abiding. You are the real deal. You will be the real deal. I was talking with some of the guys this week in our men's Bible study call and um, talking to them about something called the imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of the imposter syndrome, but uh, it's when somebody enters a new level of accomplishment, authority, or responsibility, very often that person just feels like a fake. It doesn't feel real. They feel like an imposter. Some of you know I recently finished a degree program I'd been pursuing for over four years and finished that program and, and earned my uh, degree. And one of the things people have asked me over and over is, how does it feel? And I have to t 
tell them what, and tell you and what it often most feels like most often is it feels pretend. It doesn't feel real to see that DR period in front of my name. I feel like a fake. It doesn't feel real. Sometimes Christians can experience imposter syndrome. They feel like a fake. They feel like, am I really a follower of Jesus? Am I the real deal? Am I legit? Am I authentic? Now there's two ways to respond to that. The first one might be that no, you're not the real deal. You, you're, you feel like a fake because you are a fake, that you really are a donkey painted like a zebra. You have the outward appearance on the surface of looking like a Christian, but there's no inward change. You have a form of godliness, but none of its power. Maybe you feel like a fake because you are a fake. And if that's the case, and it it's happens more often than we want to admit, there's a really simple solution. Get real. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ and become a true follower of Jesus. Give your life over to him completely and fully. Often as well, and, and maybe even more often, people feel like a fake because they struggle to believe the promises of God. Jesus says here, if you abide in his word, you really are his disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower, a student, an apprentice. Someone who's apprenticing at the feet of Jesus the master. Christianity is a life of discipleship and apprenticing to Jesus, learning from Jesus how to live and how to love. And if you're abiding in him and if you're abiding in his word, you can be assured through the words of Jesus himself and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are for real. You are really his and he is really yours. You really are an adopted child of God. You are beloved of the Father. You are hidden with Christ in God. There's no one to impress. There's nothing to prove and you have nothing to lose. He really is for you. He really does forgive you. He really does embrace you. And if, if you're abiding, that's a test. To ch if you meet that challenge and you say, yeah, I am abiding, then you're real. You're the real deal. That's the first reward of the challenge of abiding. The second reward, you will know the truth. John 8, 32. If you remain in, or abide or continue in my word, you really are my disciples and you will know the truth. You will know the truth. Now, this is upside down for our scientific age because we often think that beliefs follow knowledge, that, that certainty follows uh, some sort of si series of tests and, 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 and proofs. The scientific method, you know, you prove something, you get all the reasons why it's true, you list the pros and the cons, you make, make a list, and you come to a place of knowledge. When you think about the way a scientist works, it's actually based on faith. They make a, a prediction about what might happen given a series of circumstances in their experiment, and that it's called a hypothesis. But scientists can only make a hypothesis on the basis of faith, they're, they believe that there is an answer to the question they're asking. It may not be, or it may be the hypothesis that they're, they're, they're positing about what uh, may be the, the, the explanatory factor for, for whatever they're making an experiment about or, or trying to figure out. But they're basing that on faith that there is an answer out there. You have to believe Christ in order to know Christ. Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
Augustine said 1,600 years ago that faith must seek understanding, that you believe in order to know, that you believe in order to understand. Jesus seems to confirm, or or rather Augustine seems to confirm what Jesus had already said 400 years before. If you continue in my word, if you trust in me and abide in me, you will know the truth. Truth is both the content of the gospel and the person of Jesus himself. It's the message of Jesus and what he did in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's the person of Jesus meeting us by his spirit. You know, many uh, anxiety disorders stem from an inability. The person has, has an inability to get certainty about something. So, so for example... Uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, sometimes you think of someone who washes their hands repeatedly or um, checks the door locks repeatedly. Those are kind of like stereotypes. But really what, what obsessive compulsive disorder is about is uh, a series of intrusive thoughts. And sometimes maybe like, I didn't wash my hands, or I didn't check the locks. Sometimes it can be something uh, uh, much more difficult to bear than that. And it's an inability of your mind to be certain that you've met that question. So the person who washes their hands can't get certainty that their hands are clean. There's this, this, this sliver of doubt in their mind. There's this sliver of doubt. They can't get certainty. And what psychologists, especially Christian psychologists, have, have um, pointed out is that the, the way to move past that or to, to meet that and to heal from that is not on certainty based on faith, that even if the worst happen, that God will meet you and that God loves you, even if you're not 110% certain, which you never will be, trusting God and finding certainty, not about circumstances, but about the character of God. Jesus says, if you meet the challenge of abiding, you will know the truth the person of Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You receive knowledge by looking to Jesus and his word. The third reward of meeting the challenge of abiding, Jesus says in 8.32, you will know the truth. Truth will set you free. The world of meeting the challenge is freedom. You'll be set free by your knowledge of the truth. True freedom isn't being able to do whatever you feel like or whatever you want. Sometimes we think of that's what freedom is. It's whatever I feel, whatever kind of whim hits me, I I can kind of float in the wind and do whatever. That's not true freedom. There's a story of a man who bought a lawnmower. He was really excited to use this lawnmower, and he was looking forward to, to, to using that lawnmower because he owned it uh, however he thought was best. And so what he decided to do is he decided to, instead of pushing the lawnmower f- across the ground, he decided to turn the lawnmower vertically and trim his hedges with the lawnmower. Well, you can guess that that didn't go well. The lawnmower slipped down and ended up cutting his foot off. Because as much as he had the freedom, apparently, to do whatever he want, true freedom isn't doing whatever you want. You were designed to do. The true freedom is 
is doing what God made you to do and becoming who God made you to be. And that's why our church exists. Our church exists to help people find life like God intended. God wants people and wants you to live a full and abundant life. Everybody wants to find life, a full, good, abundant life. The problem is most people think they'll find that by the freedom of doing whatever they want. But that's actually not true. True freedom is found when we are doing and becoming what we were made to do and who we were made to be. True freedom is found in God's design and God's purpose and intention for us. Everything around us tells us to look inside of ourselves to figure out our own truth. And that's where freedom will, will find freedom. But I don't know about you, I've tried that at points. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. My internal self is too inconsistent. It lies to me. And I try to pursue one thing and it, 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 it's... I get it, and it's not enough. Jesus says the opposite, that true freedom is found outside of ourselves. It's found outside of you. And it's not your own personal truth. It's the truth. And freedom comes not from a personal opinion or a private possession. It comes from the public, objective reality of Jesus Christ, the creator, became a human being, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, was buried and raised from the dead. So that if you will turn from your sin and trust in him, you will be forgiven of your sin and given eternal life. I just want to leave you with this question. Will you abide in Christ and his word and find authentic discipleship, knowledge of the truth? Hope you'll join us next week as we look at the second challenge of authentic faith, the challenge of slavery. God bless you. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.